We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. Today I'm going to talk about Romans 13 one more time, because many evangelical leaders keep referring to this biblical passage and telling the church, telling biblical Christians that we should submit to the government when it tells us that we have to wear masks, or get a vaccine, or do anything else that isn't in direct conflict with Scripture. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Welcome to today's show. Today's topic is Romans 13, one more time. I've talked about it before, and I've referenced it, and I've shared with you my perspective, my view of how Christians should react to this particular passage. Now, I want to remind everybody before I even get started, I am a conservative Christian. If you listen to me for more than five minutes, you've probably already figured that out. What do I mean by conservative Christian? Well, I'm a Christian that believes in conserving the time-tested truths that define our Christianity. And those truths are found in Scripture, in the Bible. Christianity isn't made up by me. I don't have any right to deconstruct it and then to build some new definition of Christianity out of the ashes of the house that I just burned down. That's not my right. Christianity is defined by Scripture. And then the church has guarded and preserved that definition throughout the millennia. For 2,000 years, we've agreed that Christianity is defined by the Bible and that the church clings hard and fast to the Bible and to that scriptural, biblical definition of our faith. So I'm an inerrantist, in other words. I believe that the Bible is without error. It, it doesn't, uh, it, 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 every, every word in scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and fully equipped for every good work. That's what St. Paul told Timothy in his second epistle, his second letter to Timothy some 2,000 years ago. We're also told by Peter, St. Peter, the father of the church, if you will, the stone, the rock upon which Christ said he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Peter tells us in his epistle, I believe it's his second one, maybe it's his first, I can't remember right now, but it's either in first or second Peter that we're told that know this first of all, know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from one's own opinion. So both Peter and Paul, these patriarchs of the church, these founding fathers, if you will, of the church, these people that are holding fast to Jesus Christ, 
and to sola scriptura, to the word of God, the inerrant scriptures, the Bible as the definition of our faith. They're telling us that you have to take the Bible and what it says to the bank. You don't have any right to dodge it and manipulate it. So I believe very much in adhering to Romans 13. I don't think as a Christian I have any option but to do so. But I've said it a dozen times on this show, context is always king. So when you read a biblical passage, you have to read it in the context of the entire Bible and what the Bible is telling you. Now, back to the issue, Romans 13. Romans 13. I'm going to read this passage to you, and then we'll take a break, and I will come back, and I will share with you my perspective. Forgive me for rustling my papers here a bit. My perspective on what the church, what Christians should be doing in the midst of government overreach. Romans 13 says this, Romans 13, 1. So this is Paul's letter to the church of Rome in the first century. Okay, 2,000 years ago, he told the early Christians, the church in Rome, who were suffering persecution and overbearing government, the Roman government, okay? Paul told them this, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Okay? So, many pastors and many thought leaders within the church right now are saying, there it is. If the government tells you to wear a mask, you've got to wear a mask. If the government tells you to get a vaccine, you have to get a vaccine. There's nothing in Scripture that says, thou shalt not be vaccinated, and thou shalt not wear masks. Therefore, Romans 13 is pretty clear. It says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Well, I'm going to tell you right now before we take a break, I disagree with those who are saying that this applies to the mask mandates and to vaccinations. I disagree with those who, saying, who are saying that if you're a biblical Christian, you have to wear a mask if they tell you to wear a mask. When, where, and how? And if they tell you to get the COVID-19 vaccination, which it's not a vaccination, by the way, it's a shot. If they tell you to take this drug into your body, then you have to do it because Romans 13 tells you you do. No, it doesn't. And I'm going to explain to you why after we take a break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I will be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. So the topic today is Romans 13. If you're a Christian, are you obligated to do what the government tells you to do? Are you obligated to jump when they say jump? Are you obligated to say how high? How high would you like me to jump? Does the Bible obligate you to respond that way to a government directive? Now, some would say, well, of course not, because the apostles also said, if it's obeying God or obeying Caesar, then I have to obey God first and foremost. Well, those that believe that you're supposed to jump when the vaccine Nazis say jump 
would be the first to say, yes, you are to obey God rather than Caesar if Caesar is asking you to deny your faith. In other words, if Caesar is demanding, the government is demanding that you worship another god, that you pay homage to another god, then no, the Bible's clear. You have to obey God and not Caesar. If the government tells you you can't preach the gospel, for example, that you have to be silent, you can't share your faith with anyone, if you do, you're going to be thrown in jail. It's against the law to share your biblical beliefs in public. Now, even those that disagree with me on Romans 13 would agree, we're on the same page here, that when the government tells you that you have to deny your faith or that you can't share your faith, we're all on the same page that, well, then you can defy the government then because they're clearly do, telling you to do something that is unbiblical. But back to those who disagree with me on Romans 13, they would say, there's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not take a vaccine or thou shall not wear a mask. Therefore, why are you making a big deal about this? Wear the dumb mask. And there's abundant reason for you to take the vaccine. You should do so. You should stop being defiant. You're, you're, um, you're not only defying the government, you're defying the Bible. That's their point. All right, why do I disagree? Well, let me put this in context. The Gospel Coalition, the Gospel Coalition tweeted this. Oh, three, four, five days ago. I lost the date on it, but it doesn't matter. Here's their tweet. So it's quick. It's a, it's a tweet. One can imagine how difficult, not to mention discouraging, it might be for women who are repeatedly called to submit to see their husbands and church leaders refuse to submit to the authorities over them. That's the Gospel Coalition tweet. I'm going to read it to you again. I want you to listen. Here it is, one more time. One can imagine how difficult, not to mention discouraging, it might be for women who are repeatedly called to submit to see their husbands and church leaders refuse to submit to the authorities over them. Now, what, what are they referring to? If you don't know, they're referring to the passage, another letter that St. Paul wrote, this one to the church of Ephesus. This is in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. Again, it's the letter that Paul wrote to the church of Ephesus. And in chapter 5 of that letter, he says this, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Well, that's the passage that the Gospel Coalition is essentially referring to. Now, I, I, I frankly don't know if they believe in the, the conservative, the traditional interpretation of that passage out of Ephesians, where the... The church historically has taken that to mean that the man is the leader of the household and that he should never be domineering or authoritarian or oppressive or dictatorial in exercising his authority, but he should accept that leadership role 
Just as Christ is the leader of the church, so should the man be the leader of the household, of the family. That's the traditional interpretation of that scripture. I don't know whether the Gospel Coalition buys into that or not. But what I do know is they're saying that it's difficult for women to be told repeatedly that they should submit when they then see their husbands and other male church leaders refusing to submit to the government. That's their point. Now, it, te- it seems to be very clear that they're referring to the COVID debates. Now, I want to give you my response. In fact, I tweeted it. I said this, I'm done trying to give the Gospel Coalition the benefit of the doubt. There is nothing, and I put that in capital letters, there is nothing in the Bible telling us to bow to a government that's hell-bent on stealing God-given freedoms. My land, the Gospel Coalition, must think our Declaration of Independence was unbiblical. King George couldn't have found a better ally. So that's what I tweeted. And that got some traction out there. A lot of people liked it. Several people retweeted it. I'm going to read it to you again because then it's important for you to hear what I said because I'm going to give you my reasons for saying it. Again, I say this. I'm done trying to give the Gospel Coalition the benefit of the doubt. There's nothing in the Bible telling us to bow to a government that is hell-bent on stealing God-given freedoms. My land, the Gospel Coalition, must think our own Declaration of Independence and the subsequent Revolutionary War was unbiblical. King George couldn't have found a better ally. Now, do you get my point? There are times throughout the course of human history where people have defied the government, even though the government wasn't per se telling them to worship another god or to not share their faith in the public square. King George wasn't telling people that they had to worship Allah. They weren't being told to deny Jesus Christ. So what justified the Declaration of Independence? Do the people at the Gospel Coalition think the Declaration of Independence was unbiblical? Do they think that America is founded on an unbiblical premise? That the people... In the course of human affairs, it becomes apparent that the people can rise up if there's unjust government over them and say, no, we will not go any further in subservience and submission to this unjust government. We demand our freedoms. Is that unbiblical to say so? Well, most Americans would say no. But where's the gospel coalition on this? Well, it's interesting. A man that I don't know, his Twitter handle is Aaron, Discipleship Enjoyer, okay? Aaron G, Discipleship, Discipleship Enjoyer. His response to my tweet was as follows. I quote him. I've been trying to find a gracious way to make a joke about the Revolutionary War, but I've realized it's just rude. All I will say is we should be grateful for our freedoms, yes, but also recognize that they are not guaranteed by God and that God might call us to live without them one day. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to respond to that. I had to respond to him and I had to say, wait a second, wait a second. 
you're trying to make a joke? You're trying to make a joke about the Revolutionary, Revolutionary War? Why would you even think to do that? Why would you joke about it? What is funny about the Revolutionary War? And why in the world would you want to, oh, suggest that my comment about being an ally with King George is somehow humorous? In fact, I responded to him and I said, your comment is curious. Why would you find a gracious way, try to find a gracious way to make a joke about human freedom? Was the exodus a a joking matter? How about the Emancipation Proclamation? Was that a joking matter? Was that funny? Uh, Were Wilberforce's actions and was his work laughable? Maybe you think we should just joke about human trafficking that takes place today. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I'm challenging him because he seems to be belittling human freedom. Now, he responded and said, I didn't mean to uh, make a joke because I do not think it would be a good uh, thing. I, I just didn't think it would be in good taste to do so. I tried to make a joke because I like making jokes, and I try to make them in most situations. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. But my point is this, and I'm going to ask my question again. Why would you try to find a gracious way to make a joke about human freedom? Was the exodus a joking matter? How about the Emancipation Proclamation? Was Wilberforce's work laughable? Maybe you think we should just joke about all the human trafficking that's going on today. Do you realize there are 40 million people held in slavery right now as we speak? Do you realize that? 40 million people held in slavery as we speak. Should we tell all of them to just submit to the government? We could go on and on and on with regard to examples in the Bible. It's not just the Exodus. In the Bible, where people actually felt they needed to exercise their human freedom. Freedom. I mean, we've got the entire nation of Israel in its march through the desert on their march to the promised land, they are embracing freedom. The story of Moses, when he went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go, is there any evidence in that story that Pharaoh was forcing the Jews to worship a different God? Now, maybe it's there and I've just missed it, but I, I, I don't see any evidence that Pharaoh was forcing them to deny their God. And if you step away from direct biblical passages, but incidents in history that are definitely grounded in a discussion of a biblical worldview. Let's look at antebellum slavery in the United States. let's, Let's just ask this rhetorical question. If the slave owner in the antebellum South, in Georgia or the Carolinas or Alabama or whatnot, if the slave owner was not forcing his slaves to deny Jesus, And if the slave owner allowed the slaves to worship Jesus and to share their faith in Christ with others within their slave community, should the slaves have been told to just shut up and submit? That's essentially what the Gospel Coalition is implying. So 
they're ignoring the work or disparaging it or belittling the work, maybe even making a joke out of the work of people like Frederick Douglass or Harriet Tubman. Uh, how about Martin Luther King Jr.? Is there any evidence that the United States was telling blacks in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s that they couldn't worship Christ, that their churches had to pay homage to the government rather than worship the true God? Is there any evidence that the United States of America told the black community that you can't share the gospel with other people? You can't share the salvific message of Jesus Christ with anyone. No, there's no evidence that the United States was doing that. So therefore, should the black community have just submitted to the injustices of being forced to use different drinking fountains and different entrances to the theater and to the restaurants? Is there anything in the Bible that says thou shalt not use a different drinking fountain? No, it's not there. But we see an overall biblical theme that all men are created equal and that all men are endowed with the image of God. They are the Imago Dei. And therefore, from the Genesis story on through, we're told that we were created not as robots or automatons, but as free-thinking, morally culpable, morally aware human beings. And therefore, freedom was paramount. It was a first thing. So Frederick Douglass's work was justified, right? Because freedom was being compromised. They weren't being told to deny Jesus, and they weren't being told they couldn't share Christ with others. But their freedom was being stolen. Likewise, Martin Luther King Jr. makes it clear that it was freedom, a first thing that was being stolen. Not their, not their religious freedom, per se, because they could still go to church and they could still share their faith, perhaps even more so than conservatives are being permitted to do so today. But are we going to tell Martin Luther King Jr. that his march for civil rights and equal rights for blacks within the American society was an unjust march? I sure hope not. How about Anne Frank in Nazi Germany? If she would have been permitted to share her faith openly, then she shouldn't have defied the Nazi regime, right? So as long as the Nazis allow you to go to church and Share your faith, and if they're not telling you to do anything that's unbiblical, then you should bow in submission. Is that what you're saying? Oh, and then I, I also pointed out, how about the 40 million present slaves, young boys and young girls that are being trafficked in the sex trade? Well, you might say, well, but they're being told to engage in an immoral act, therefore they have the right to defy the government. Well, what if they're not being told to engage in an immoral sexual act? What if they're being traded for labor? And they're just being forced to work in sweatshops to produce your Nike shoes or whatever. Should they submit? There's nothing in the Bible that says thou shalt not work in a sweatshop. There's nothing there, at least not explicit. But what is there is a theme of freedom. And when human freedom is being stolen from someone, that that's unbiblical, that's unjust, that's not Christianity. So, my point to my friend here in Twitter is that Wilberforce laughs at his silliness where he somehow is dismissing the march for freedom, whether it be Frederick Douglass's, whether it be Martin Luther King Jr.'s, whether it be Harriet Tubman's, whether it be Anne Frank, 
whether it be Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, whoever you want to put in the blank in terms of those that have fought for human dignity and human freedom, are you telling us all that we should have just submitted? Gospel Coalition, is that your point? No. No, we shouldn't just submit. If the government is stealing your freedom, they're stealing a first thing. They're stealing something that God gave you at the very beginning of all creation. He made you in his image. He made you as a free-thinking, morally aware, morally responsible human being. And no one has the right to take that. King George didn't have the right to take it from Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Our Congress and our Senate doesn't have the right to take it from us today. And by the way, I'll just close with this. If you want to talk about authority and governing structure and submitting to the government and those authorities, who is the authority in the United States? Who is the government in the United States? You know, a little lesson in civics might be appropriate here. In the United States, it's not Joe Biden. It's not Kamala Harris. It's not Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer. It's not Donald Trump. In the United States, who's the government? It's you. It's me. It's we the people. We're the government. We're the government. And when somebody else circumvents that government and defies that government of the people, by the people, and for the people, the people have the obligation to rise up and say, no, we're not the ones defying the government. You are, because you're defying us. You were elected to represent us. The United States is a constitutional republic. You're representatives. You're not governors. You're not a king. You're not a queen. You're not a despot. You have no authority over us. We have authority over you. We, the people in the United States, we're the government. And because we don't teach civics any longer in our schools, even the people at the Gospel Coalition apparently don't get that. Who are you supposed to submit to? It's not Joe Biden. It's not Nancy Pelosi. It's the Constitution. And the Constitution is grounded in the assumption of we the people. We the people are the government. We're the authorities in America. And frankly, in the Bible, freedom is a first thing. Freedom. Freedom is something worthy of defending, whether it be someone else's freedom or your own. You have no right to give it away because it was given to you. It was endowed to you. It's self-evident. It's given to you by your Creator. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.